To our visitors this morning, we genuinely say thank you for being with us. Uh, We want you to feel welcome. We want you to come back and worship with us again. We want you to feel like that uh, this is a place that you could call home. And we're glad you're here today. And we want you to uh, continue to worship God together with us as we open His Word. And if you keep your Bibles open there, and if you don't happen to have a Bible with you, there are a few Bibles And we're going to begin our study in verses 15 through 19 this morning. You know, it's such a great privilege to be able to study with various ones. Some people just seem to know how to impart God's Word in such a wonderful way. But there's no one who was better at it than our Lord. He was and is the Word. John 1 and verse 1 said, In the beginning was the Word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. You drop down to verse 14 of John 1, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What a wonderful privilege to be able to take some time and to study the Lord's great Sermon on the Mount. But as we get to verses 17 through 19, the Lord's sermon frequently focuses on correcting misunderstandings and misconceptions. You know, there are people all the time in their life begin to think, the Lord meant this by it. Or God, when He gave us His will, meant this or meant that. And our Lord, because He knew the mind of the Father, because He was the Word, was capable of correcting any of those misunderstandings. And you see, the Lord's sermon here is relevant not only because the Lord corrected their misunderstandings and misconceptions, but do you know today there are still people who approach the Lord's teaching and they misunderstand it? I don't know how many denominations there are in this world, but there are people who teach all different kinds of doctrines And the correct understanding is revealed by our Lord, and so we need to listen to Him. And this morning, we're going to talk about these as they relate to His mission and His message. In fact, we're only going to have two points in our lesson this morning, and I will go ahead and tell you if the first point is going to be the majority of the lesson. So if it is five minutes till ten, and I'm not through with the first point, don't panic. Uh, because uh, it is the majority of our lesson this morning. Let's look at verse 17 again. Let's look at it specifically at what he says. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, they misunderstood Jesus' intention Because they had bad information. You know, a lot of times people will tell us something and you get it wrong because the person who told you does not have it correct. There were people in Jesus' day who had their mind made up about what the kingdom was supposed to be. They were looking for a literal, physical king when Jesus was going to be a spiritual deliverer. There are many people who misunderstood God's plan for His Word. 
And there are two misconceptions with regards to his mission. Number one, they failed to distinguish between the real law of God and their traditions that had developed from it. Number two, they failed to perceive, to understand that Jesus himself was the fulfillment of that law. So let's explore those two ideas for just a moment. I call it fact versus fiction. Where you take the law of God and then you take the traditions of men and you put them side by side. You see, they had oral traditions. There were rabbis who were teaching them what the Old Testament law said. Those teachings were not inspired. In fact, as a result of being oral, they were often embellished as they were retold. I don't know how many of you remember in school that teacher would often do an experiment in class and the teacher would start with the front student on this side of the room and tell them something real quietly. They would turn around and speak to the next student and the next student and then when they got to the far end over here they would ask the last student, repeat what you were told. I used to get tickled about how different it was what the last student would say compared with what the first student was told. But you see, we have the inspired Word of God. That is, the writings of Scripture, and I emphasize writings, were in superintended. That is, they were guarded by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. Let's li listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word made or confirmed which you would do well to heed that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That means when Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Paul and Peter and Jude wrote the Holy Scriptures. What they wrote down was guaranteed by the Holy Spirit to be correct. There's a good illustration of this found in John chapter 10. In order for you to understand the way it is given, let me set up this passage for you if you will. The Lord had stressed that he was the Son of God. And they were ready to kill Jesus because he had said, I am the Son of God. And so what Jesus is going to do is to use an Old Testament passage and then to say, how are you going to deal with that? In John 10, verse 34 and 35, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If you call them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. Now, that needs a little bit of explanation because some people would say, well, What does he mean when he says you are gods? That's a quotation of Psalms chapter 82 and verse 6. But it has reference going all the way back to Exodus 4 and verse 16. And if you'll remember, 
when Moses is arguing with God about going to Pharaoh, he was saying, Lord, I can't speak well. I'm not eloquent. And God said, Aaron, your brother, shall be your, and he uses the word prophet, and you shall be like God to him. In other words, you're going to be the one to whom the word of God comes, and he is going to speak for you. So Jesus uses that, and then he makes that statement in verse 35, and Scripture cannot be broken. When you're dealing with Scripture, that's the final answer. No one can say, well, I've got another answer that will supersede it. No, whenever Scripture speaks, that's the end of the matter. Thus, Jesus called attention to the written word. Listen to Luke 10 and verse 26. He said to him, What is written in the law and what is your reading of it? See, here's the problem. These people didn't understand that God's word and their oral traditions, their traditions of man were distinct and different. And you can see that they're not identical. I want to just pull out one passage from Mark chapter 7. I'm just going to cherry pick a few verses there to pull out the point that I'm trying to make. You see, there had been a problem where there were people not taking care of their parents. Their parents had grown old and Jesus had said, you would say to your parents whatever... I was going to help you with has been Corbin. That's devoted to God. And he said, you don't let them do anything for their parents. So here's some verses. Verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Verse 5, The Pharisees and the scribes ask him, say, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? But eat bread with unwashed hands. Verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. Verse 9. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Dropping down to verse 13. Making the word of God no effect through your tradition which you've handed down, and many such things you do. You see, the Lord is drawing a distinct line between what was written, the Scriptures, the Law, the Prophets, and their traditions. So here's the, the thought. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the Law and the Prophets. When they heard Him condemn their teachings, they were thinking, he's arguing against the law, and that's not correct. In fact, I'd suggest to you as we continue our study, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, and we begin in verse 20 and talk about that righteousness, and the Lord will say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, he's drawing a distinction between their interpretation of the law, that oral tradition, and what God's law had actually said. But you see, they also did not understand his fulfillment of his mission. You see, the Lord had a mission when he came to this earth. He had a goal. He had a purpose. And that law also had 
a mission, and a purpose. Let's notice, if you will, as Paul writes the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 19, and then verses 24 and 25. These were people in this area of Galatia, which is in central Turkey now. And these people had been taught by some Judaizing teachers, you need to keep that Old Testament law. And here's the way he answers that. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the hand through angels by the hand of a mediator. Dropping down to verses 24 and 25. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. You see, what Paul explains is God added that law because of transgressions. People were living sinful lives and God had to say, this is right, this is wrong. And he said he added that until the Savior came, until Christ came, until the seed came. He explains in verses 24 and 25 that that tutor brought us all the way to Christ, but after you're there with Christ, you don't need that tutor anymore. That was the mission of that Old Testament law. But you see, Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those prophecies made under that Old Testament law. If you go to Luke 24, verse 44, it says, Then he spoke to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you. All the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said everything that I have done up to this point has been a fulfillment of those things within the law that pointed toward me. Now we could look at them one by one and then we would be here till midnight. You know, like Paul was when he's in Troas, preached till midnight. But I'm afraid some of you might fall out of your seat like Eutychus did, and I can't raise you up if you happen to fall out of your seat. But I can point you to a few of them. In fact, I can just take just a few from like Matthew 2, around the childhood of Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. When he arose, he took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And there was, was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through, our prophet, or through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then he talks about Herod becoming angry and killing all the male children. You get to verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and then he talks about Rachel weeping for her children, how all those little babies in Bethlehem were killed. But that was a fulfillment of prophecy. You keep going on to verse 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. And he shall be called a Nazarene. Do you see all of those passages where it says, He fulfilled, He fulfilled everything that was said about Him in detail. Jesus fulfilled it. 
Do not think that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. When you fulfill something, you bring it to an end. Some of you are about to embark on a college career. In fact, I know some of you delivered your children to school yesterday. Some of you will be attending college in the next few days. As you begin your first year, your freshman year, you take a certain load of courses. And inside that catalog that you begin under, when you complete all the courses, you fulfilled all the requirements for graduation, then you graduate. Then you get a job. You see, when something is fulfilled, it's completed. Listen to the way Paul speaks in Romans 10 and verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When you get to Christ, He's the end of it. John 17 verse 14. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. John 19 30. One of the last things the Lord says on the cross before He gives up the Spirit, He said, It is finished. The fulfillment of all of those passages that had spoken regarding Him. But now, let's keep on looking because they've misunderstood His view of it. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me. For assuredly I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them will be called or shall be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus extolled the law. He honored obedience to it. He didn't try to destroy it by saying, don't pay any attention to the law. Don't obey it. He didn't say that at all. In fact, he talked about the least part of it. And he used something that is not really a common word in our language, a jot or a tittle. But the best way I can describe it to you is when you make a small I, you know, you put a little dot above the line. That's a jot. And when you make a T and you put the little cross through the upright line, that's a tittle. What Jesus is saying, the very smallest aspects of the law are to be obeyed. In fact, breaking one of those least commandments, teaching somebody to break them would make a person called least in the kingdom and vice versa. Now, for the second part of my lesson, I want to apply that both to the first century and to today. And that is some misconception of the word. And two have come apart from this, and so let me take the first one. 
And the first one is some refuse to see the end of that Old Testament law. They cannot see in their mind Jesus abolishing the Old Testament. That is, making it no longer effective. That took place in the first century. Even as far away as Corinth was from Jerusalem, there were still people who were teaching that that Old Testament law had not been done away. I'd like for you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 14. And Paul says, But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He says, it's just like this. They've got a veil on their face. And that Old Testament has now ceased to be effective, and now the new covenant of Christ is effective, and they can't see the end of it. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, He put it like this in chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, both that is both Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having, now notice that word, abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached to you who are afar off and those who are near. What he's saying is there was something that separated Jew and Gentile. What was it? That Old Testament law. That Old Testament law was only given to the Jews. It was never given to the Gentiles. And now he's taken both groups and he's put them in one under a new covenant under him. Or if you want it stated real simply, Hebrews 10 and verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So some people today, just like when they read Jesus saying, Think not that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I've not come to destroy but fulfill. They think in their minds, Jesus is continuing that Old Testament law. And, you know, the Scriptures don't say that. He fulfilled it. He brought it to an end. Now there's a false doctrine that has been taught in our area and it relates to this point and I felt like this was probably a good time to raise that issue. And the false doctrine that is being taught is simply this, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not New Testament, they're Old Testament. 
This is taught by a man by the name of Dan Billingsley. He mails stuff to the church here quite regularly. Uh, he wants people to believe his doctrine. And the main reason why he promotes it is because he wants to get around the Lord's teaching on marriage and divorce and remarriage. He doesn't want Matthew 5, verse 32, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, to be applicable to Christians today. And so he says, everything written prior to Jesus' death and resurrection is Old Testament. And some in our area, because they want to embrace this, have accepted this idea. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say it very plainly. This is one of the stupidest doctrines I think I've heard in a long, long time. This says that only passages after the resurrection are binding. Well, I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, notice I underline this because I didn't want you to Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What were they supposed to teach? If it was only after the resurrection of Christ and he was only on this earth for 40 days, are they only going to teach the things the Lord taught for 40 days? Or is the Lord here indicating that everything that I have taught you from the time that I began my call of you as apostles, I want you to teach that? I want you to listen to Hebrews 9, verses 15 through 17. We understand this in real life. If you're going to pass away and leave a will, when do you make your will? After you die or before you die? Well, somebody said, well, that's ridiculous. You've got to make your will while you're alive. Well, here's what the Hebrew writer says. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. When do you make your will? When you're alive? When does it become effective? After you die? But when did you make all the various points that you want to be applied? While you were alive? So everything that Jesus taught in his personal ministry is New Testament it is His testament. It is His will. Yes, Jesus lived and He died under the Old Testament. But His giving of the new covenant is what you and I will be judged by. John 12, verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive me, my words has one who judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You see, the main idea I think that is behind Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, is rightly dividing God's truth. In the New King James, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. Or if you're going to use the original King James, study to show yourself approved unto God. You see, a person who has to give the effort, the diligence to read it, to understand how you divide it. Jesus revered and respected that Old Testament. To me, I guess if there was one verse that I would use to describe how he dealt with the Jews is John 5, verse 39. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Yes, go to the Scriptures, but go to them and understand them properly. We are under a new testament, a new covenant, a new law, which is based upon better promises. Hebrews 8 and verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. You know what the better part is? You and I can be forgiven of our sins. We can know that we are walking with our Savior and obedient to His will. If you'll take your songbook out, we're going to sing this song of encouragement in just a moment. Here is what our Lord taught us to do. In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, If you believe not that I am He, you will die in your sins. We have to believe that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He taught that we have to repent of the sins that we have committed. That means to change our mind that results in a change of action. Luke verses, chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, He says, I tell you, no, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And our Lord taught that we must be willing to, with our mouths, confess Him before men. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, for with a heart, or excuse me, that's Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus says, Everyone therefore who will confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. And then our Lord taught us to be baptized. Mark 16, verse 16 said, He who believes... And is baptized, shall be saved. If you've not yet done that, we want to encourage you to do it. And it's possible that those of us who are Christians here have not been walking faithfully with the Lord. We can pray for one another. And if you need to have the prayers of this congregation, we encourage you to come while we stand and sing.